This is Ghetto. Broadcasting live from the studios of AM570. It's on a website. This is FNA. I am a god. Now what? Why don't you get out of that jumpsuit and let me smack that fat ass? <laughs> That's a scary crew. As far as the product goes, uh, the voice of a new generation, man. You guys are the young guys. Are really at the top of their games. The two of them had something in common. We bring you Radio Ecstasy. Oh, it's beautiful. Broadcasting live from the studios of AM570. FNA. FNA. Let it happen. This is the FNA Podcast. It's the FNA Podcast on a Monday. Now, I am not here to get my ass beat on Monday. With Kevin Figures. I'm Adam Ashland. Adam Ashland. Or that. Adam Ashland. Or that. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. We have a good show for you. Coming up later, we have a geek news, semi-stranger-than-fiction news. It's another hybrid. We'll be talking about color-changing animals and not chameleons. <laughs> These are animals that are domesticated for the most part. Like like a Labradoodle, like just blends in with your couch or something? Like, Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, that's new. <laughs> I haven't seen that before. So the next time I sit down on the couch and I hear... Arr! It's not it's not this couch screaming in pain. It's actually the dog that's just blending in with the couch. Yeah. Got the, it. The couch isn't angry with you. No. And you may have some quarters and some loose change in there somewhere, so you can actually oh. get a return on that investment of sitting down. I love that jackpot. <laughs> the old, I'm cleaning out the closet, and I find a 50 in the pocket jackpot. You're a rich motherfucker. No. What's the most money you've ever found that you realize you had left somewhere? Probably about 20 bucks. Just yeah. now I say 50, it was exaggerating. I've never found. Some people have been like, oh, I found $500 somewhere. And I was like, I remember I won the whatever, and I just left it in my. So I, I feel like if I won 500 bucks, I would know exactly where it was. Yeah. It would not misplace it, and it would not be buried in the back of the closet. That would be in my uh, security deposit or yeah. my safe somewhere. I would love to be in a position where I could forget the fact that I have $500 in a pocket in a closet somewhere. <laughs> Give me my damn money back right now, and I don't have no damn receipt. Real talk. <laughs> uh, we also have a voice, the gold life. Uh, voicemails to get to in the back end of the show, uh, 949-478-1197. We had uh, two voicemails come in over the weekend. Okay. Not surprisingly, two of them came in on Saturday night. I can only imagine what the uh, subject matter hmm. may have been about said calls. Hey, things done changed since then. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. It's as the Dodgers world turns to a certain degree. We'll uh, get into that here. Enough. Uh, first off. Let's go. Let's go, time. Let's rock. First off. After that Saturday night debacle. Well, now I'm getting very irritated. That I'm sure had Dodgers fans and all types of PTSD going on with the way they blew that game. They came back and won yesterday. Yeah. Four to two. And a multitude of uh, highs and lows, as you mentioned. It's kind of like as Dave Roberts' world turns to because of some uh, what many would describe as egregious errors in judgment in managing on Saturday and getting credit for some of the decisions he made on Sunday. Um I, I saw you having some interactions with some people on Twitter, especially on Saturday night, mm-hmm. namely Andre, who uh, who exclaimed, <laughs> who exclaimed, the Dodgers just lost the World Series. I did see that. He said that? He did say that. I didn't see that yeah, part. he did say oh, that. Oh, wow. guarantee you. Now, I don't know if you had blocked him at this point, so maybe you, had, maybe you couldn't see his tweets. I'm not exactly sure at what point in time this was in your interactions or lack thereof with him. I did see on Sunday morning you tweeted at him, Baez. Good morning, Baez. <laughs> now- 
late su- Saturday night, I also hit him at one in the morning with a bias before I went to bed. And then I woke up and said bias again so, because we've had this back and forth going back five years now. No. We had a bet between him and Hunter Strickland who would have the better ERA back in 2015. Hunter won. And I think Baez, his ERA was uh, a little bit higher, but the bet was Andre wasn't supposed to be able to call in <laughs> or what? talk to me for a week. Was it indefinitely? Okay. Because I say he's definitely called in multiple times over the last five years. He broke his promise. Oh, no. <laughs> he had a bet with somebody else on this show regarding some EPL. Oh, yeah, the soccer stuff comes in and yeah. out, and I'll be honest with you, I have not kept up with it, so I don't know. He wasn't supposed to be able to call into the Takis hotline for six months. He didn't he, follow I'm through with he's that. ever held up for six months without calling the yeah. show. Andre loves us too much. Why are you mad at me, Adam? But the bias situation between him and me, it's been... It's been an ongoing battle. By the way, I'm sure. Whenever Bias gives up a run, I shoot him a Bias tweet. Or if he gets out of a clean inning, he does the same. I'm sure it's comforting for him to know that you think about him before you go to sleep and when you wake up in the morning. Why are you mad at me, Adam? <laughs> Not mad at you at all. <laughs> Dodger fans. He finally the- said, Bias sucks. I'm never going to give in and, yeah. and go back on my word on this again. I finally realized it. If we have, So if we go back to Saturday and many Dodger fans were upset Maybe even less so with Baez, but more so for Dave Roberts for putting him in that situation. Now, I don't know what the numbers are specifically with Pedro Baez when he has when he inherits runners, but the naked eye test over the years and watching it, especially in, in, in big-time situations, doesn't really come through all that often. Yeah. Uh, so it was puzzling to many that he decided to bring Pedro Baez in uh, after two runners had initially got on, I believe, I believe Blake Trinan walked two runners, and he took Trinan out, and he put Baez in the game. And you could go back to taking Urias out. Yeah, that was on, questionable as well. Where he was at, what, 80 pitches? And he didn't seem, he wasn't in control the way that he wasn't dominating like he had been previously, similar to the way Kershaw pitched on Sunday, and we'll get to that in a second. But certainly at least throw him back out there and see if he can give you a little bit more and try to shorten the game a little bit more, a little bit more than going to your bullpen early. My biggest issue with Dave Roberts was putting Baez back out there to start the seventh. Correct. After he already gave up the three-run home run to Lau. And worse so than that, and if you like the matchup or whatever, you try to justify it as one thing you can't do, and every Little League manager or coach will tell this, you tell a pitcher that he's done for the night, you don't put him back in the game. Dave Roberts tried to justify it by saying, well, Pedro said he was fine. And it's like, of course he's going to say he's fine. Yeah, but once that's you what take they a, do. Once you take a pitcher out and he's mentally exhaled, you don't put him back out there in any situation. And Dave Robert, now I guess to his credit, he did take you know blame for it, but it rightfully, wasn't your fault. But rightfully so. And Dave Matt Roberts has been around the game for too long to make a mistake like that. And been managing for too long to make a mistake like that. Then things got into an area with Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning. How many runs were they up at the time? Two. Two. And it was their own Bill Buckner like moment. Yeah. A Except this be- is day before the anniversary. This it was this is multiple people though. That's the crazy part. Multiple like, buck ups. Like three, four people <laughs> had giant boners like on one play to it, cost them a game. It was one of the flukiest things I've ever seen in the history of my baseball viewing experience. Yeah. Because First of all, it starts with Cody Bellinger not being out in center field because he slept on his back wrong. A.J. Pollock gets the start there. Then they bring in CT3 for defensive purposes. And obviously, he botched the play out in center field and didn't see the ball go into his glove. 
and that sped up everybody else because they saw Rosarina flying around the base paths. And if Muncie doesn't go for the relay there, he scores anyways if he doesn't fall. Correct. Which nobody was expecting to happen. And neither did Will Smith, who talked about that before the game yesterday. He says everything was happening so fast, I assumed it was going to be a bang-bang play at the plate. Which, that's also fluky, the fact that he fell down right. and it ended up benefiting the Tampa Bay Rays. Right. <laughs> and Kenley Jansen wasn't backing up, and I believe even if he was backing up, it was so bang-bang, yeah. it wasn't going to happen. But still, fundamentally speaking... That's just not a play that you make. And even Dave Roberts tried to justify that from J- from J- uh, Jansen, saying, like, well, we expect him to be up the third baseline. And I said, why? He was near there after a Rosarina fell down. It looked like he was trying to help get him in a rundown. Yeah. But the problem but was Will Smith Will missed, Smith missed has, the ball. Yeah, Will Smith has to catch the ball first. But he's still thinking, oh, it's got to be a quick tag, a quick swipe. Correct. Because he had his mask on still. And didn't realize a Rosarina had fallen, and neither did Muncie right. until he's about to throw the ball, and it looked like there was some hesitation there, and, it and that's why he didn't bit. throw a strike to Will Smith. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong on one play, and fluky things that went right for the Tampa Bay Rays ended up working out in their favor. Yeah, and you can argue whether Kenley Jansen shouldn't have been, should or shouldn't have been in that situation. I probably would not have put him in at that point. Kenley yeah. said that he. Well, none of the balls got hit hard. Like, well, they don't need to be. The Yankees lost the World Series on a ball that wasn't hit especially hard by Luis Gonzalez off of the, the bat of uh, off of Mariano Rivera. It was Things similar happen. with Things what happen happened like with that. Phillips at the ba- at the plate sure. against Jansen. It's a cutter. It didn't cut a ton, but it was inside. He got a piece of it, and it turns into a flare that finds <laughs> some open green pasture in the outfield. I mean, look, the velocity off the bat, which that's a big thing nowadays. They talk about exit velo or how how they said it was hit like 84 miles an hour off the bat. So it wasn't smoked. No. That's for sure. But, I mean, that is baseball. You have a chance to be able to make a play like Chris Taylor. Like Chris Taylor didn't make in the big play last night, by the way, or the play that led to the big play last night when Chris Taylor was playing second base and the ball bounced off of his glove. He had one error in the regular season. He has two in back-to-back games in the World Series. He's not had, and he hasn't been really good at the dish at the World Series either. He's he's struggling. Chris Taylor is struggling big time in this series. That was a comedy of errors, though. Literally, you could say errors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was funny, I'm sure, for some people. Oh. Dodger haters and Absolutely. Giants fans were oh. loving that. I'm sure. And that could have been, and maybe it still will be, the defining play of this series and something you will never forget and it will live on in the annals of baseball history forever. Yeah, if the Rays find a way to come back and win this series, absolutely. But the response from the Dodgers yesterday, immediate response in the first inning, and it was Mookie effing Betts getting that double. And that was the biggest thing for me, for them to start the game the way that they did, because... That can have a hangover effect on you. You know, the, people, there are more than people like Andre saying this series is over because you lose a game like that where you felt like you were for the most part in control and it gets away from you at the very end. It's very easy for you to say, all right, well, this thing, they're in our heads for the Rays to have all the confidence in the world, for the Dodgers' confidence to be shaken. The good sign was after that game, all the Dodgers had the right demeanor, said the right thing. They say it was one game. We'll be fine. We'll be back tomorrow. They didn't look shook yeah. to me. Dave that, Roberts did immediately. <laughs> yeah, he looked pissed. Was and what he admitted was. so yeah. afterwards, saying before Game Five yesterday, I was shell shocked. Yeah, in the because moment because he didn't even see a Rosarina get home. Yeah. as soon as the first runner scored, and it looked like they were going to get a Rosarina out in a rundown, 
he was already thinking about going into extra innings. Correct. And how he was going to manage, which is the right approach. Sure. Everything else was outside of his control, and he didn't see the final run score. Dave Roberts can't be blamed for that sequence. That's for damn sure. He had nothing to do with that. Yeah. And I think in the past, things would have snowballed on the Dodgers, and it would have carried into the next game. And I really feel like them being down three games to one and coming back against the Atlanta Braves has made all the difference. It's made them mentally tougher. It's something they have been lacking for a long time now. And there have been things that have happened, you know, obviously with the Houston Astros that are extenuating circumstances, and you can't really put that on the Dodgers. They likely win that series if Houston isn't cheating. But they haven't played their best in the biggest moments, and they haven't always reacted in being able to, what's the term people like to use? clear the palate, cleanse the palate, or clear the mechanism. Mm -hmm. And they did that. They flushed it right after the game. And I guess late that night, they were all in a group text talking talking with one another. We're still the better team. We can do this. And even Kenley Jansen right after the game, I thought what he said was important, saying we can't let this beat us. You can't let this one loss turn into two losses and three losses and turn into a series loss because of what happened at the end of game four. Yeah, and that's part of, you know, what we mentioned a second ago is is the fact that they they weren't shell-shocked after the game. After the in the moment, of course, Dave Roberts was like, What the f you know, and rightfully so. But you know, before the before uh, last night's game, they asked Dave Roberts, you know, know, how did how, how did last night go for you? He said, I slept fine. (laughs) He says, now whether it's true or not, who knows? Calmer than you are. He said, but he says, I slept just fine. And I think for all the things you mentioned, because they were able to, they were faced with adversity, the deepest adversity you could be faced with outside of being down 3-0, I guess, and down be down 3-0 in a series and down 5-0 in the, in the you know first inning of game four. And they were able to fight back and climb back in and get a victory, knowing that they can over, they say, if we can overcome that, we can overcome anything, yeah. even something like this, as egregious as this may be. Yeah, you come back down 3-1, nothing looks at that dire anymore. Right. You've learned the lesson. You've had that experience. And Mookie Betts starting off game five with that double. It was huge. And I saw these splits for him and the Dodgers in wins and losses after the game. And they are unbelievably drastic. In wins in the postseason, Mookie is hitting 395. In losses... his average is. Talk about drastic. Oh, my God. He's hitting the ball 5% of the time in losses. He's the catalyst. He's the straw that stirs the drink. And people talk about the importance of the leadoff man in general, but when your leadoff man is the MVP, is a former MVP who's a defensive specialist who literally gets everything. He was a clubhouse leader in his first year. You know, Vasse talked about at the beginning of spring training before everything got shut down, he was the one that galvanized the clubhouse. The the newest guy in the clubhouse said, we got to make sure that we treat every single practice every single day like it's our last. We have to work on our fundamentals. We have to do everything right. And how, much, and how much respect he garnered from the veterans in that locker room by the fact that he had never been there before but already, already took on a leadership role. I do think there's a follow-the-leader type of approach when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a trickle-down effect. He looks unflappable. Yeah. Even when he wasn't hitting against the Atlanta Braves, he was doing other things. He was still getting on base some. Mm-hmm. He was still stealing bases and obviously making huge plays in the outfield. And he snapped out of it. Early on in the World Series, didn't he have a home run in game one? Yeah, the opposite field. He did. 
And he had that. I think he only had one hit. That was the leadoff hit, but that helped set the tone. And I think behind him, Corey Seager, who we've talked about on this show, has been a playoff dud throughout his career. The NLCS MVP and has carried that over going into last night was in 500 in the World Series. He's having one of the best playoff postseason runs in the history of Major League Baseball. He has the second most RBIs ever at 19 in a one postseason run only behind David Freeze in 2011. So like win or lose this series, I think we can we can probably pause on the uh, Seager's a playoff choke artist, at least for this particular season. And Bellinger started to heat up after what happened in game seven of the NLCS that carried over for him and he's getting into this un- series unconventional hits he's such a power guy and a gap guy and he, I mean that ground ball infield single mm-hmm. he had a line he had a line drive down the the left field line I believe a right field line for a for a double in a game like those are the hits he normally doesn't get he normally gets high in the zone he rarely ever hits balls on the ground he's hitting balls on the ground and getting base hits the Dodgers probably went from feeling like at least for a second, oh no, here we go again, the baseball gods are against us, to saying, this is our time. Like Dave Roberts did say before the series started, after they won Game 7, this is our time. And while that's bold to do, it can instill confidence in your players. Yeah, they can handle it one way or the other. It can put undue pressure on their backs, or they can can instill confidence in this. Like, if he has us, then we got him. And I think for once, they really embrace the, the pressure of being the best team of being the favorites. And maybe some of it, and we can get, get into Clayton Kershaw here. No, we will. Was him acknowledging the narrative at the end of last season after game five against the Washington Nationals because for the first time he admitted what everybody knew about him in the postseason, and he said everything, everything that everyone's saying about me right now is true, and all I can do is go out and compete and prove them wrong and turn this around something to that effect i'm paraphrasing (laughs) and he's four and one now in this postseason and it's not even that he's gotten lucky in some of those wins he's been good Mm -hmm. he was solid yesterday he wasn't great but considering he didn't have his best stuff that's the medal right there the fact that he was not on he was on in game one yeah he was not on last night but battled through said he didn't have his slider yeah his wipeout pitch and in that fourth inning Things once again could have gone off the rails and could have gone sideways for mm-hmm. the Dodgers. They're up three to two, and there's a runner on first and third with no outs. And it reminded me of what happened in game seven. Yeah. Same thing. Fourth inning, they had guys on second and third, the Atlanta Braves, and Justin Turner ends up turning red turn two, that huge double play. Yeah. And that was a series changing. That was the clinching play. They're the biggest moment or the biggest play in that series in game seven. And it happened again yesterday. And Kershaw was in control of a lot of it. He got the pop out. He got the strikeout. And then Margot had the audacity to try and steal home. Although he was close. Very close. He had a great lead. He was very close. But Kershaw had the poise and the wherewithal, thanks to Max Muncy, I guess, Pointing out, you got to step off the bag or this is going to be a balk. You got to get off the rubber and make sure you throw a strike to home plate. And while it wasn't a perfectly thrown ball, that was a really well executed uh, out at home plate. After 
the disaster at home played at the end of game four. Right. That and they the execute contrast. it perfectly in game er, in game five in inning four. The communication between Muncie and Kershaw, the fact that he said it's something they've discussed in spring training before every single season, it's not something that you see very often. <laughs> I heard Al Leiter talk about it on MLB Network this morning. He said sometimes veteran guys work on it, but for a lot of guys, it's something you don't even think of. Nine times out of ten, you're looking at the guy at first base and the fact that maybe this was a misstep on the Rays' part. Now the problem is Kevin Cash said he did not send Margot. Margot went on his mm-hmm. own. And maybe if Margot and Renfro were both running, that right. would have distracted Kershaw enough and Margot would have scored. That may have been the difference with how close it was. How close of a play it was at home. I mean, microseconds. At first I thought, I thought he was safe. Yeah, he might have got eight. Looking at it live, live, I thought he was 100% safe. And then you see Austin Barnes has his right hand <laughs> on the mitt, which touches Margot's hand. But to pull that off in that moment from Clayton Kershaw, that was to be that calm, to not let things get out of control when you have guys on first and third with nobody out and you don't give up a run, that was it. That, mm-hmm. to me, it's going to go from the series possibly turning on the meltdown at the end of Game 4 to things turning back in the Dodgers' favor immediately in Game 5, and that could be the very reason they go on to win the World Series. Exercising some of those playoff demons. This is the, I, I tried to dig this up, and I could... They said this was the first series in the postseason that Kershaw has two wins in. Yeah. And I was like, that that's staggering considering how many playoff series he's played in. He has the most strikeouts now in postseason history, no. partly because of how many innings he's eaten up. But he's gone from someone who in his first, and this goes back to against the Philadelphia Phillies in the yeah. first time he was in the playoffs, from 2008 to 2019, before this postseason run, he was 9-11. and 11. His postseason record with a 4.43 ERA, pitched 158 innings. This season, 4-1, like we said, 2.93 ERA this postseason in 30 innings. A healthy amount of innings. Big time. And, and look, and I think he can be, I don't know, I haven't heard many people bring this up, but he's certainly aided by the fact that it was a shortened season. He's dealing with the back issue. If he had to play 162 and he had 25 to 30 starts, it's natural for especially someone who doesn't have the velocity that he used to to be worn down. Some of these guys are as fresh as they can possibly feel. They talked mm-hmm. about this with Walker Bueller the other night. They said, Bueller said, around this time of the regular season is when I really hit my stride and get going. So they're at a huge advantage that they don't have yeah. any major injuries. Everybody's healthy. They bypassed that dead arm yeah. late July, <laughs> early August point of the season. Which is something that can't be fully discounted. So, no. I mean, they, look, it works in their advantage, and they're taking advantage of it for sure. But I think that's huge, especially for a veteran like Clayton Kershaw. Now, when it comes to Dave Roberts, last night, his decisions worked in his favor. And I think he did something that he typically doesn't because he told Clayton Kershaw before he went out for the sixth, regardless of what happens, you get these first two batters out and you're done. And he got the first two batters out on two pitches. and, and That's the, what they didn't expect. Yeah. Now, back in the day – and. I can say I don't know this for sure, but I have a pretty good feeling about the fact that Dave Roberts would have told him that, but he said, ah, two pitches, two outs, let's leave him in there and see what he gets. Yeah. And he said, nope, we're sticking to the plan. We're going to go in there, get him out. I don't care that Clayton's yelling at me, Justin Turner's yelling at me. I made a decision. Clayton looked way more at peace with than, it, Justin, than Justin Turner. For sure. It looked and, like Turner said he can get this mother effer yeah. out. And, and, Clayton, <laughs> Clayton, Margot. and even Clayton said after the game, like, look, that was the plan. I trusted Doc. I gave him the ball, and that was it. And as hard as that may have been for him as a competitor in, internally, look, they had the discussion and Dave made the decision. It'll be, I guess it will be di- a different situation if Dave Roberts had never said any, a word to him or just put him back out there. Yeah. I think the situation would have been different. And you saw them talking with one another in the dugout yeah. 
in between innings. This maybe, wasn't them making up a story afterwards. Right. This happened. Yeah. And it's the opposite of what happened just the day before that with was, Pedro Baez. That was going to be my next point. He told Clayton he was taking him out after two batters, and he came and took him out after two batters, regardless of what happens. I'm fine with that. I am as too. As long as they had a plan, there's some rationale to it. They wanted Dustin May against Margot, who obviously could hit Kershaw. Mm-hmm. And to Dave Roberts' credit, and this was reported by Kenny Rosenthal, I believe, during the game, he really liked how Dustin May was looking. He felt like Dustin May was about to come out of whatever slump he was in in game two. He was wild. He was overly amped, and he felt like he was close. Yeah, they felt they just needed to calm him down a little bit. And it was four up, four down to start with him. Right. Now, he had one hard-hit ball that Jock Peterson made a hell of a play on for sure. I didn't agree with Victor Gonzalez at the time not in that I. spot. Well, to me, it's first guessing versus second guessing. And maybe Dave Roberts knew something we didn't. Now, or maybe he just got lucky and they won in spite of a bad decision. No, because initially he put in Victor Gonzalez thinking that Choi was going to be the batter. And then, of course, once they put Gonzalez in, they pulled Choi out and they put in another batter, knowing that a Rosarena was coming up behind him. Now, Dave said... Obviously, if he's going to put Gonzalez in that situation, he knows Gonzalez has to face a Rosarena. Mm-hmm. He says he liked the matchup with Gonzalez and a Rosarena. I wouldn't have, I, personally. No, not at all. <laughs> and But he got him out on one pitch. He did. Rosarena was overly aggressive. Yeah. Pop fly. But considering how well he had started hitting the last couple of games, that, yeah. it, if it's a home run, everyone goes, of course it was. Right. And to me, that indicates it's a bad decision. Just that everyone would go, yeah, of course, you should have seen this coming. That, to me, tells you all you need to know. But now, everyone doesn't have the whatever analytics they go by and yeah, what, kind of pitch, something. what kind of pitches that he throws that a Rosarena struggles with. Because has, Rosarena hasn't faced Gonzalez in this series, at least I don't believe. Correct me if yeah, I don't. He'd only pitched, I think, one game. So I don't know if he. There so. could be a pitch. I mean, they talk about this, you know, like, oh, a certain pitcher, like he, Justin Turner had that humongous game on Friday night. And they say, well, I, and, and John Smoltz brought this up. He's like, Justin Turner will hit this guy really well because his strengths are also Justin's strengths. And so it very well could be one of those situations where a Rosarena's weakness could have been Victor Gonzalez's strength, even though Gonzalez throughout the postseason has not been as great as he was in the regular season. His control has been kind of wild. Uh, and Rosarena has been so red hot. But maybe there's something they know of Victor Gonzalez's pitch repertoire that they feel Rosarena struggles with. That's kind of the inside stuff outside of the naked eye test that we don't know. Yeah. It, it, we could be giving him the benefit of the doubt there. I still wouldn't have done it. I it wouldn't have It worked out in Robert's favor. Yeah. And maybe he was owed one. <laughs> maybe. With having some bad luck in the past. Yeah. <laughs> because even the Baez, they said the Baez matchup was was great when he brought him in, and they say it was just a, it was a badly executed executed pitch mm-hmm. that he gave up a home run on, and that he got him swinging and looking badly on changeups, and for whatever reason he threw a fastball when he shouldn't have, and they said that well uh, Austin Barnes or was a Smith actually threw down, he wanted another changeup, and Baez shook it off and threw a fastball. And Dave Roberts was so bad in Game Four with you could say four decisions that were questionable at best. Gratterall could have stayed in and pitched sure. the ninth he inning after have. how he looked. He should have. And Dave Roberts went back to Kenley Jansen one more time. But the good thing is, it turns out the Dodgers may be too talented to fail. We Their talked Dave about Roberts this. Proof. We talked about that before the playoffs even started. They have built a team 
that could be Clayton Kershaw proof, Baez proof, <laughs> Dave Roberts proof, where their margin for error is so huge that you can lose a game that you gave away in the World Series and still win it all. That would say something about the talent on this team. That would say a lot about Andrew Friedman and what they've built, the powerhouse that they've built for sure. Now, that still means you're winning despite bad moves <laughs> by the manager, and there have been. Even if they go on to win it all, there oh, look, have for been me, bad moves. There have been some solid ones, too. Knowing when to put Kike in there and take Jock out or knowing the right defensive replacements to make. Was taking uh, A.J. Pollock out and putting Chris Taylor in center field a bad move? No. No. It's not his fault that Chris Taylor booted the ball. That that was fluky. That was Bellinger sleeping on his back wrong. So, I don't blame him so, for that. Overall, has Dave Roberts struggled as a manager in his tenure? Absolutely. But I do think it would be unfair to say that every move, he, everything good that happens is just because the Dodgers are so talented and everything bad that happens is all his fault. No, no, no. I'm saying if they win it all, it may be just because they're so talented they can't help but win it. He won't be they're strategizing his way to a, team, yeah, to a win. I'll Th- say this that. This isn't him taking a team with lesser talent to a World Series victory because he's so brilliant at pushing all the right buttons at the right time. Right. And look, people, this was the argument against Joe Torre when he was in New York. When people said those teams are so talented, they said Mickey Mouse could have coached them or managed them to a World Series. I don't know if that's uh-huh. necessarily true, uh, but Joe Torre was, ex- was, was a good manager in his own right, too. Now, the problem is they won four straight World Series. They were there pretty much every year for a while. They had a, a dip there for a while before his exit. So it's very, very hard to to judge when the team is that talented whether it's the manager, whether it's the talent, a combination of both, that's really, really difficult. Now, that being said, I don't know of any egregious boners that immediately come to mind when it comes to the Yankees and series that they have lost either. Yeah, You can think of quite and a few when it comes to Dave Roberts in the postseason. You can get lucky. I, Joe Madden did with Aroldis Chapman in 2016. Yeah, ran him into the they ground. They could and have almost... easily lost that series because of Joe Madden. Yeah. And he's had issues in the past, too. Yeah. <laughs> the Royals <laughs> and Ned Yost, the year that they won. Perfect example. Ned Yost was a wild man with some of the moves he made that made no sense. Even in 2014, when they got to the World Series and ended up losing in seven, I don't know if they lost because of him. I don't remember any egregious moves in game seven. But to get there, I think they played the A's in the first round. And he was all over the place with managerial decisions that made no sense. And they ended up winning anyways. Right. (laughs) Baseball's funny like that. It's strange. It's. There are odd things that happen in a game where you think you see everything. Something new happens, just like at the end of game four. Big time. And I I think uh, Dave Roberts, if anything, is benefiting more from the talent on the roster than the talent on the roster is benefiting from yeah. Dave Roberts. 100%. 100%. Uh, but you mentioned the Yankees there. And while we've always talked about the Atlanta Braves because of Stan Cast and because of how many times they've won the, the division with the, the uh, Dodgers and the Braves only won one world series in 95, but they were up two games to none against the Yankees in 96 and they had outscored them 16 runs to one. And then the Yankees won four straight to me. That was always when the Braves came up short from then on. It was that series in the back of their mind. The way they gave it away so quickly, things turned on their on its head. So do you believe this can be working the opposite direction for the Dodgers? If they win this World Series, it could propel them to winning yes. five of the next seven World Series? I think they're not, they're not the Braves. They're the Yankees with how talented they are. 
if they can just break through this barrier of not being able to win, all of a sudden they're going to have all the mental toughness and that mindset that you need and the championship medal you need to go on a string of wins because that's all they've been missing before. Talent was never the issue. Right. Now, and if Clayton Kershaw is much better in the postseason moving forward because of this, <laughs> yeah. Walker Bueller is a freaking stud. Yeah, he's not going anywhere anytime he's soon. He's money. And if they have to go to game seven with Walker Bueller, Dodgers are going to win. And by the way, Julio Urias, who we mentioned didn't have the greatest command Friday night, but I mean, when he's on, you see how good he can be. I mean, I mean Bueller and they Urias have- at the top. Gonsolin has had his struggles, but we've seen what he can do. I mean, like I said, they just keep on reloading and left and right. Dave Roberts' fault or one of his faults to me has been he's been trying to not only win, but get redemption stories for tough luck or unclutch veteran players on his team and fix them. But also he's been trying to get youth and experience to, or some experience as some of the youth on this team with Dustin May and Gonsolin and Victor Gonzalez and Will Smith. And Will Smith. And if they ended up winning anyways, and these guys got to play in big moments in the playoffs. Added bonus. That's going to pay time. dividends down the road. Big time. Especially so when, they, I mean. They have the makings of a dynasty. Because these guys have to be able to replace. And that's the thing. If the Dodgers win, they have a lot of guys. They have a lot of question marks going into next season. Jock Peterson, who, by the way, was traded. He was gone to the Angels before Artie Moreno nixed the deal because he yeah. was too impatient. Ian Ross Stripling, waiting, right? waiting for the deal to happen. And look how big Jock has been. Say what you want about Jock, but I mean his postseason numbers are stupid. Jocktober is real. Yeah, it's a thing. And after he hit that home run yesterday, he goes into the dugout and he's he's high five and he says, "They don't want this smoke." Right, <laughs> as only Jock can do. But you, I mean, Chris Taylor's going to be up soon. I mean, they're going to have to end up reloading a lot of their. Kike Hernandez is a free agent this offseason, too. I mean, Turner, people were talking about the fact that he just wasn't coming back anyway because his I, bat speed had been affected. Uh, he wasn't as great defensively. And look at him now. Look yeah. how great defensively he's been in the World Series. How can you not bring him back after this? Well, it depends on what he's asking. You can easily not bring him back depending <laughs> on what his asking price is. Especially, Where's my money, bitch? Especially with this front office. I mean, and for their note, they probably think Edwin Rios can probably slot right in there. Like that's that's I, the way the front office thinks. I think even for them, they're going to get overly sentimental. With, I don't think with so. Justin Turner. I don't think so. I think it all depends. People have said, think about all the stuff with this front office if they go on to win. Oh, they're never going to spend. They ne- they're never going to make the big moves. They made one of the biggest moves to bring in Mookie Betts on a team. That's also that, a generational player too, and they didn't well, give up that much. In the grand scheme. No, but they ended up paying him no, a sure. ton. Yes, they but- ended up doing the thing that everybody thought this front office would not do, which is way 12-year deal yeah. to a guy. Yeah, for again, a guy for who's, who's the second best player behind Mike Trout. Playing Justin Turner, if he's asking for a three- or four-year contract at $14 million, $15 million a year, that's just not financially prudent. They wouldn't do that no matter all the sentimental value in the world. That just doesn't make business sense. Yeah. You can't say it does you can't say it doesn't make business sense to give a 12-year contract to a guy that's been healthy, that's an MVP and that's in the prime of his career or I, entering the prime of his career. When they didn't sign Bryce Harper, when they didn't do all these other things, people said it was never going to happen. They offered it to Bryce Harper. They just they wanted to sign him on their terms. Right. So I mean, so they didn't they, offer him as much. Yeah, they didn't likely. offer him the years that he wanted. Right. They'd offer the years that they offered the money that he wanted but not the years that he wanted. I think if they if Justin Turner is willing to come back on their terms or any of these guys, whether it's Jock or Kike Hernandez, I just think they believe that's not going to happen. Well, to me, this was on Mookie's terms. 
they got him because they were willing to pay what he wanted. Yeah, and again, And that was something that was unexpected from this front office. It was unexpected. They pigeonholed this front office and how they're how they're always going to do things when Andrew Friedman had just gotten to a big market in 2016. Right. You don't know exactly how he's going to work for the next 10 years. And people already thought, oh, this is how it's always going to be. No, they're I- just going to use the farm system. They're never going to give any of these guys up. And and that's how it's going to work. I mean, the belief was and Vasquez brought this up is that they would do it for the right player. And I think you could, you couldn't argue like they offered Garrett Cole a contract on their terms. You know, so if they will be the right player on the right terms for someone like Mookie Betts, they do it. I just don't see them overpaying for an aging player, regardless of all the sentimental value that comes with it. Well, again, Mookie wasn't on their terms. They just had to. Or they felt like they No, they felt it was they worth should. it. They felt it was worth it. And who would argue against the fact that well, it was worth it? Twelve years, I don't think anyone was expecting that from this front office. I like I think this is this is revisionist history a, a little bit. No, for a player people like that, they weren't gonna do it. I I would never have said. People can say what they want. For a generational player like that, who has never been injured, who's on the upward trend of his career, and if you have the the financial wherewithal to be able to do it, this is why they got under the luxury tax a couple of years ago to begin with, is so they could have money to do this if they wanted to. But remember when they got Mookie, everybody was saying, "Oh my gosh, a pandemic." He's not even going to play a game for the Dodgers. He was a rental. They're going to lose him for nothing. That was a huge story. They would not have done the trade if they didn't feel like they were going to sign him back. They I, wouldn't have done it at that point. I, I think that's a little bit. It it seems obvious now. I don't think it seemed obvious in the moment at all. I don't Everyone think they, was talking about it like they could lose Mookie and he never plays a game as a Dodger because he might just be a rental. I felt it would have been highly unlikely they would have even swung that trade if they felt they weren't going to be able to resign him. Because at what point, why would you even do that? Obviously, that makes sense. But it it felt like they weren't going to pay the $400 million that Boston wasn't going to pay. And they didn't have to pay $400. But a lot of people were saying, look at all the stories – they could lose Mookie for nothing. He's a rental. We'll see how this goes. Yeah, they could. They let Machado I, go afterwards. Again, didn't give up much, and they already had him in the clubhouse for half a season and realized that he wasn't worth it. Yeah. I, and Machado had much more baggage than uh, Mookie Betts did. Of course. Mookie Betts is a better player, and he's better in the locker room. He's perfect. I'm just saying, I think time and time again, this front office has surprised people. I think they haven't been as predictable as everyone has thought. Well, look, when Andrew Friedman even came in, they say, like, well, they're afraid they're going to operate like a small market team. And you can you can argue to a certain degree they have, but they're operating like a small market team that has big market resources and have paid players when they felt they've needed to. Now, look, they, you, they gave Kershaw that extension that people did question, and I'd say, yeah, that was a little bit surprising for sure. Mm-hmm. And that was a sentimental signing. But also Kershaw at least still had some gas left in the tank. I don't know if they feel that Justin Turner will be worth what he's asking for. And who knows what he is going to be asking for. And again, if it's a one-year deal or a one with an option, yes. But if the rumors that I've heard are right and they're looking for possibly three or four years, I just can't see them doing that for a 34-year-old. Yeah, I just feel like if you are going to be the Yankees, you have to keep some of these veteran guys that play big for you in the playoffs, like the Yankees always have. If it's financially prudent for you. Martinez and Brocious and guys like that. Because I just don't see this front office – tying themselves to a player who is going to be a part-time player or not really worth much to them two years from now, especially tying up a certain amount of money. But I mean, That's just not how they operate. See, see, I just think we don't know exactly how they operate yet. It's only been since 2016, and yeah. everybody thinks they have them nailed. And they've already 
signed a guy in 12 years. You think Mookie Betts is going to be good 10 years into this, the same as now? The I same as now, it. no, but I still think he'd he be has, productive. He's 28, Correct. so he probably has four or five more years at an elite level. Right. And then you're talking about seven more years after that. <laughs> That's not exactly prudent. I'm still being a good player. <laughs> he could be. We're all, who knows? By, by Injuries. Pro- all, we've all, already seen the drop in production for someone like Justin Turner. That's co- already in front of, of your eyes. But you're also not paying him what you're paying Mookie anyway. No, but if you're paying him like an th- all-star third baseman, which clearly right now he is not, despite the fact he's having a great postseason, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I'm not saying those two contracts would ever be comparable anyways. I'm saying... A 12-year contract, even for someone as good as Mookie Betts, you are saying we know it's not going to be great at the end. But we do it because we are still trying to win now, and that's what would be the same mindset for signing Justin Turner. We may be overpaying. and He's only going to give us two years of the four years that he's going to be good still. But we do it to win. I can't see them doing that for four years. If it's two, I maybe. no idea what it's going to be. I could see him doing it for four. But... Yeah, if you're if you're talking about overpaying them for a year or a year or two years, possibly. My central point is, uh, everybody keeps saying, "Oh, this front office, this front office." I, I I just see them doing things that are against the grain at times too. Okay, I don't see them doing that. How about that? That's my opinion on this particular matter with Justin Turner. I cannot see them giving him a three or four year contract. And I, if I'm wrong, then I'll openly admit that I was 100 percent wrong. Okay, fair enough. So they got Gonsolin going, and in I hope game it's a six. and I hope it's a start. And not a bullpen game. He's on full rest at this point. That's I didn't know difference. if it was going to be Gonsolin or May. Uh, clearly, it's not going to be May now, although May only threw 30 pitches last night. So he could conceivably be available if they wanted to, and he'd have a day of rest, obviously. But allow Gonsolin, because I do think this affects someone like him especially. This is his first rodeo when it comes to the postseason. He's been a starter all season long. Bouncing back and out of, in and out of the rotation, being a starter, coming in knowing you're only going to pitch an inning or an inning and a third. I'd rather just give him the ball and say, "You're gonna, we're gonna ride you as long as we can. This game is yours to take." And he only got to six batters in game two. Yeah. He and Dustin May were wild. They looked like rookies at that time. Yeah. But him back in his routine for the first time in the playoffs, he didn't even pitch against San Diego. He was 17 days from his last. Yeah outing when he finally got into a series against the Atlanta Braves and the same issues with him may have been affecting may where he maybe he's a little too amped up you know that could be a thing where they did and then maybe that's something they've been working with him for this last these last few days that he's had off but uh and no, no one asked I'm a little bit disappointed when Dave Roberts mentioned after the game last night that Gonsolin is starting game six and no one asked him is he starting game six or is he opening game six and because hmm. that's a clear and maybe Dave Roberts doesn't know yet but that's a question I think needed to be asked at that time because so many Dodger fans, and we've talked to them on Rogan and Rodney and Petros and Matt, Tim Cates and Sachs have talked about it, how many people are just hate the bullpen game, the idea of a bullpen game, especially you mentioned coming out of the previous series, it was necessary for game two. It's not necessary now. Gosselin's on full rest. They could, and you brought this up before the series when I asked who's going game two, what are they going to do there? Alex Wood. Sure. Absolutely. If it is an opening game for Gonsolin or he doesn't look great early on, Alex Wood has to be next. Because he has the most length of anybody left in the bullpen who hasn't worked. Alex Wood hasn't pitched since game two, wasn't it? Or was it game one? Game one or game two. So he's had plenty of time off too. And he did look really good. He's pitched in the World Series before, obviously. I'm a little surprised they went to, talking about lefties, because even Kalerik was warming up behind Victor Gonzalez last night. I was surprised they weren't warming up Alex Wood. Now maybe that's because they had the foresight to say let's save him for another game, especially if Gonsolin who we plan on starting, yeah. gets run early. That could have signaled that So that, that's probably what it was. And also, 
I don't know if I love, and we'll never know if he's actually being truthful or not, but Dave Roberts coming out and saying, oh, we were never considering Walker Bueller for game six. If you lost yesterday, you better pitch Walker Bueller in game six. If you're down three games to two. You can't put a rookie out there in that situation. I don't care about three days rest. Well, he's never pitched on three days rest. Yeah, because he's never been in this position before with the stakes this high. This is when you have to do it. Yeah, and I believe, (laughs) did he throw about 80 some odd pitches? I don't think he reached 100 pitches the other night. Um, I I, I feel like his pitch count wasn't extremely high. Yeah. But I don't know off the top of my head. But yeah, if you if but yeah, he was extremely good. Yeah, had you have lost uh, that game last night, you you have to put him in. The other- There's even talk now. Uh, Cates and Sachs were talking about that this morning on Dodger Talk in the AM. If they're in a situation where they're winning and it's late, maybe they put him in to close the game out. Mm. To say we we don't want to get to a game seven. Let's put our best gun in right now. If it's the eighth inning and we're up by two runs and maybe. It, it's one out left in the eighth. Just bring him in to try to get the final five outs Yeah, and do that. I wouldn't take that totally off the table either. I, I could see that. And Walker Bueller has been amazing. But another move that David Vasse talked about after game four, maybe he talked about it before. I'm not sure. But Austin Barnes has got to be behind the plate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Because I think one of the reasons guys – Pitched so well yesterday was because he calls a better game than Will Smith. And that's no Aside slight from to, his defense and everything else. It's no slight to Smith. Smith is a young catcher in his second year. Yeah. Like I mean, Austin I Barnes. I love his bat, but Barnes is battle tested. I mean, by the way, Will Smith has not been phenomenal in this World Series either. He was 0 for 4 with three strikeouts last night. He's had some big hits. He's not had a lot of hits in the postseason. He's had some really big ones. But it's not like he's setting the world on fire with his bat either. But Austin Barnes, he's the classic, okay, why do you have a catcher bet in 196? It's for reasons like that. Mm-hmm. Because he can call it a, a game like that. Uh, he's too valuable. I mean, even and even on Friday night, there's the sack bunt uh, for, for the, the sack of suicide squeeze for RBI. He had a home run. He has a little bit of pop. He's not the greatest offensive catcher, but he's not an automatic out either. But the most important thing is the, the, the difference he makes defensively for you, and that's something that you can't discount. And That's wh- more important. What if it was Will Smith in that position? to get Margot while he was trying to steal home instead of Austin Barnes because it was razor thin <laughs> that they had to make that play and Austin Barnes was right there for it. Inches. Yeah. I mean, literally inches. If he steals, and I wonder if Margot is thinking, I got to do this. I'm going to steal every base this inning, <laughs> even though he got third on an error. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I do like the aggressive from the race standpoint. I like his aggressiveness, although there's a part of me that says, well, Kershaw was really laboring there. Maybe you let him pitch to the next batter and see what happens. Yeah. So that's really, but I clearly Margot as a runner saw something that led him to believe that he can, I mean, look, he, he came all the way down the line and Kershaw didn't move. I, I think you're right. If Renfro, had also yeah. put more pressure on Kershaw at first. That might have been the difference. Definitely. But Margo wasn't able to get his attention, I guess, and let him know he was <laughs> or get him on the same page. Yeah. So <laughs> Dodgers looking to wrap things up. Tuesday night, you can listen to that game on AM570 LA Sports and on the iHeartRadio app, too. How about that? <laughs> How uh, about that? <laughs> so we got some uh, some Stranger Than Fiction today, right? Let's do it. A fast food customer defending her decision to call 911 after her McDonald's ran out of McNuggets. You can't give a drunk man riding a horse a DWI because unlike cars, horses don't have motors. They have a mind of their own. Strange things begin to happen. A 24-year-old man accused of throwing an alligator through a drive through window. 911, what is your emergency? Oh, too high. Now, I love a cute little pooch. 
And I'm not talking about that little bit of fat around the belly that makes you think your girl might be showing, but really she's just trying to stay thick for you. Or she just wants that pot belly because she thinks it's sexy. She wants the pot belly. Hey, Bruce Willis is French girlfriend in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> she wanted that pot belly for some reason. Found her accent sexy. And because I'm not a serial killer, I find puppies cute, not sexy, which is what I meant by cute little pooch. Puppies. I was talking about them. Pooch kicks, not so cute, John Casey. We were in field goal range. I put the Patriots in field goal range real, real quick. Uh, but puppies are adorable, even when they are arresting you in the kids' show Paw Patrol. Although I'm too old. I used to watch Pound Puppies. I had a couple of those stuffed animals. I don't know if I know that one. See, I'm way too old, apparently. <laughs> but I was lucky enough to get a real puppy as a kid, which I mistook for a Doberman Pinscher at first, but it was a Rottweiler named Sophie. This is the one you shot in the face, right? Not in the face, Kevin. Oh, okay. What kind of sick person would do that? Never in the face. God, for, forgive me for just, you shot, the fact, the fact you shot her at all. Yeah. Well, but that it, was, soft, it softens the blow that it wasn't in the face. My apologies. I only shot Sophie in the foot. To show my friend Jason Burke that it doesn't hurt to get shot with a BB gun. Traumatize that dog the rest of her life. See, if Jason wasn't such a little bitch after I shot him and was like, look how much it hurts, look at the blood, then I wouldn't have had to shoot Sophie. Mm. <laughs> it's not even my fault. Devil made me do it. Yeah. <laughs> but all dogs go to heaven, and puppies are heavenly creatures that make you want to just love them and hug them and hold them forever like Elmira from Tiny Toons, who would suffocate her animals yes. by holding them too tight until they turn blue. But that was just a cartoon. In real life, puppies aren't blue. They're green. At least one puppy born on a farm in Italy a couple of days ago was. In a litter of five from a mixed-breed bitch mutt of a mother, while four of the puppies, they came out white like their mom, one was neon green, like a traffic light. Talk about Go Dog Go, if you remember that children's Did book. this puppy take a dip in the ooze or something, or what happened? <laughs> I'll tell you, because this Those... isn't the first puppy, even this year, to come out looking green. There was a German shepherd born in America that came out green. They named him the Hulk. <laughs> this green puppy born in Italy named Luigi. No, Pistachio. Also good. Makes sense. <laughs> As for why the color green, there are two theories. Yes, science! And the first one involves the number two, because the dog's fur could be colored by meconium in the, mo in the mother's womb, which is the earliest stool produced by an infant animal. It's basically green crap that can stain the dog's coat in the womb. <laughs> so they were literally bathing in dog crap. And that's what changed their coat. Yeah. Okay. And embryonic fluid. And yeah. The other reason is that the puppies could come in contact with Billy Verdon, a green pigment found in bile. It's the same pigment that makes bruises turn green. They start out black and blue, but then they get green and right. yellowish. Right. So the pup's fur is just dyed green in both cases. And over time, the color dissipates and the dog goes back. To white. I mean, unless you actually dye the, the dog's hair because you just can't let it go when it's green. Some um, do that. People dye their dogs nowadays. I saw. Not there's, a fan of that. There's a company named Alpaws or Opaws, and they have all these different colored dyes. I'm sure the dogs love it, by the way. <laughs> PETA does not. Yeah, I'm they sure. They said, we urge people to let dogs be dogs, love and appreciate them for their natural beauty, and leave them out of our confusing human shenanigans. I don't fully disagree with some of that. 
But what if the dog's turns out green from the beginning? Then you're just trying to keep it natural green <laughs> with mm, the dye. But that's not natural, <laughs> though. It naturally starts green, but if it turns brown and or that, black. That poop that turned it green was natural. <laughs> it sure was. Now, the color it smelled green. Un, it smelled unnatural. That's the problem. <laughs> the color green, though, is a symbol of good health and good luck. So the owners of pistachio in Italy thought it was a positive sign for the rest of the year in 2020, which makes it all the more curious why they drowned the puppy just because it was still the runt of the litter. But, mm. you know, I'm kidding. That didn't happen. So they're saying 2021 is going to be great because this puppy is green? Uh, maybe. Or we're going to end the year strong. Because they sure as hell can't say that this 20 was phenomenal based on this green puppy. Yeah. If that green puppy is the best thing that happened in 2020... I mean, my God. <laughs> and there was the other green dog born in January, and things went downhill in 2020 after that. So, yeah, I don't know if it's that much of a sign of good luck. Yeah, unless you're like the pandemic monster or something, and that, that's positive a positive year for you. And it's not positive for the rest of us, that's for damn sure. <laughs> but there you go. There is the story of the green dog named Pistachio. I'm still waiting for that blue dog like Blue's Clues to pop out. Or Clifford the Red Dog. We don't have any of those, do we? Oh, the big-ass red dog. Oh, yeah. That dog was naturally red. But can you imagine the crap that he lays? Although the marker used for it probably was Ooh. toxic. So. <laughs> got to gotta call in the, an entire like forklift and a, a construction company to move his piles of crap. That is one big pile of shit. Jeez. Oh, well, that's a, bigger than Triceratops. That's a compost dump crap. in and of itself right there. Uh, 949-478. the world. 1197 is the telephone number again, 949-478-1197. We have two voicemails that came in over the weekend. Let's give a listen. Mm-hmm. Hey, fellas, it's James. It's uh, about the fastest rappers. Um, Busy Bone had his album, Doves, whatever it was, was the golly. It was great, but Adrenaline Rush by Twister was one of the hardest and craziest fast rapper albums of all time. Like, I love Buster, but you guys just put on a Tech Nines uh, Worldwide Choppers because it has everybody from across the world that spits fat, fast raps from Turkey to Denmark to everywhere. Buster and Twister are both on that. Um, pull that one. Sorry, I've been drinking all day. Uh doing a tall can of truly hard cider right now because been golfing and that's what we do um but busy bones busy bones 30 minute album his solo album was dope and the tw- the first twister was crazy too but i get it um all right sorry been rambling y'all later so wait who's this cat from denmark that's spitting fire Cause I don't think I know him. I don't know, but for a guy talking about fast rappers, James was pretty slowed down there. <laughs> he just wanted to make sure that he clearly articulated every point that he was making, Adam. That's all. I'll check out that yeah. Tech Nine. Tech song. Nine. Tech Nine is real too, for sure. Yeah, he's good. Tech Nine will break a foot off in your ass. The industry's a bunch of punks. Kansas City's best. Uh, what? Thank you for the call. Appreciate it as always. Uh, what else we got? If every game is in Dodger Stadium and there are fans there. What changes? What changes is every fucking terrible decision that Dave Roberts makes that he thinks is good gets booed as he makes it. They boo when he takes out Urias. They boo when he takes out Jansen. When he brings in Jansen, they would have booed him mercilessly. So that changes. And I think that would have made an actual difference. 
because then people would have been like, well, maybe Rodgers is making the right decision. Even the home fans know he's making a very wrong decision. This is terrible. Whatever. If Rodgers is managing a middling team, he would win not one single game. But he's got the most talented team in baseball, and somehow, like tonight, he scored seven runs for him. He still fucks it up. That was uh, Peter, who was uh, obviously angry, and he also was tweeting Saturday night. Actually changed his name on Twitter. Something that was taking a stab at Dave Roberts. I forget exactly what it was. But Peter, like many Dodger fans, not happy with how things played out on Saturday. He's still better than Mattingly to me. <laughs> Doesn't say much, right? <laughs> hey, Mattingly, who took the, Mar- the Miami Marlins to the playoffs this year, all right? Four now that's doing more with less. <laughs> You're telling me, Although... right? That's also so much... I mean, it was like a 60-game season. Yeah. Now, we can't – the problem is, like, well, can you give the Dodgers credit for winning if you're going to take credit away from a team like the Marlins for making it? If you say – extrapolate that out to a 162-game season, we all know the Marlins ain't making the playoffs. Look, it is still an achievement. Yeah. Them doing this away from home, even though, yes, his decisions would have been scrutinized more with all the booing. We know Pedro Baez gets yeah. booed every time he's out there on the mound. Regardless. But – to me, whoever wins the World Series, it's not going to have quite the weight as a normal 162-game season and then winning the World Series. But what, it's still an achievement. What helps for me is the fact that the Dodgers coming into the season, pre, pre, people pretty much felt that they were the best team in the major leagues. Yeah. They had the best record in the major leagues. Uh, they beat you know, the second-best team in the National League in the Atlanta Braves and had to come back to do it. Now, I think it maybe would have carried more weight if the Yankees would have been healthy and held up their end of the bargain in the American League and came and came through. And although the Rays had the best record in the AL for sure, but the Yankees were the favorites out of the AL and they had so many injuries all season long. I think I don't really hold it against them too much for losing. Yeah, but if this would have been Dodgers Yankees in would a sixteen game season, the Giants too in the first round. That would have been a feather in their cap. Some would, some would say, <laughs> some would definitely say such things. But no, this is still a very worthy win and. Because of those reasons, how good they've been for so long, it's not surprising at all. They're one of the best teams. And if they come back and win next year. That'll really validate it. It's the Laker, right? it's the Laker argument. The Lakers yeah. come back. Lakers go back and win the championship next year. All the haters that were saying, like, well, this wasn't worth it and it was a weird year, you have nothing to say. That's what I'm saying. If you win the next year, it counts for two. Because <laughs> you completely validate the one you won the year before. For sure. <laughs> so in essence, you would have three? Well, they count for two. I'm saying the, the one first counts one, for two. If the first one doesn't count in your mind. So it absolutely counts at that. So the second one counts for two. Yeah. Got it. All right. So it's not two and a half. But I'm not would trying a, to downplay a, this for the Dodgers if they end up winning. I'm would, not. Would it be a half championship? Would but that be what it is? The Lakers, they played 70 regular season games. Yeah. They're I, playing a third of the games they normally play or yeah. 38% of yeah, the games they, they normally play. They couldn't even get to half. They couldn't baseball. even get to half the games in baseball. That's so extreme. Yeah. Let's compare this championship against all the other teams that won when they only played 60 games in the regular season. Oh, there are none. Because I'm trying to think back to 81 when the Dodgers won that title, what the second half, because I think it was based off of the second half records that everybody had. I don't know what the total number of games were. Mm. I'm pretty sure it was more than 60, though, Oh. before the Dodgers won in, in 1981. And nobody these years later says anything about, like, well, there's an asterisk next to that championship. And the only people that put an asterisk next to the San Antonio Spurs in 1999 is Phil Jackson. Everybody acknowledges that as a title. And that was, what, 50 games? They played 110 games yeah, in 81. that's more than legit. There were 63 and 47. More than legit. So, 
Um, Unless that's counting playoff games, but this should just be It should. That should be regular season. season if that's baseball and reference. they beat the Yankees, right? Sure did, in 81. It means more when you're beating another team that's a blue blood, that's a yeah. traditional power. Right. Even for the Lakers, uh, you know, Pat Riley talked about, you know, asterisk titles, and he walked back his comments over the weekend talking about the injuries for the Heat. But if the Lakers would have beaten Milwaukee, I think in the minds of many people, it would have me- meant more. That's the only reason I was diminishing their title a little bit. It was about who they played, and I know it's not their fault. Doesn't bother me. You got to beat those in front of you. It's not my fault if everybody else doesn't take care of business. Hey, Goran Dragic was averaging 20 points per game in the playoffs, and he got hurt. Sure, and like if you want, that's what matters more to me. If yeah, if you want to give it the Golden State Warrior treatment and say, hey, great players were hurt, and that helped them win. That's all I'm saying. Sure. Well, the Warriors got lucky in 2015. The argument about lesser competition and that they didn't face like better teams that should have been there and they didn't beat the Clippers. Like I'm not, I'm not blaming the Lakers or, or diminishing what the Lakers did because a potential opponent didn't do their job in getting there. Well, that's not how the playoffs work. Lesser competition in the sense that they didn't play a fully loaded Heat team. Okay, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. That's not what a lot of people were saying before. When they're putting all these formulas together and saying all, all their road to the title is easier through the playoffs and the records of all their opponents were lesser, it doesn't bother me. I don't care. I, mean, it was. I don't care. <laughs> it's not the Lakers. It's not the Lakers' fault that the that the Clippers didn't handle their it's business their or fault. the Bucks didn't handle their business. It's only when I'm weighing it against other championships, aside from everything else that went into this unique year. I'm um, sure, and but, I, don't, I don't think anybody's making the argument that the Lakers' championship was the greatest of all time. But not having home court makes it impressive. Sure. Like I said, dealing with the mental issues in the bubble that many players said, the Lakers were able to handle it better than anybody. There are things in their favor. That's extra adversity that they were able to to power through and other teams weren't. All right. I'm just hating. I wasn't going to say it. I mean, I felt it, but I wasn't going to say it. Uh, Thank you guys for the calls. If you guys want to call in and have a chance to win a T-shirt, 949-478-1197 is the number. 949-478-1197. Hit us up on Twitter. Adam is at followAdamA. I am at KateBig1. We are at FNA Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'll be back later this week to wrap up the World Series. Perhaps we'll get a special guest on. One of our favorites. Hopefully so. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. Come on, Dodgers. Don't make me look like look like an idiot for already tweeting out that uh, Are you, trying to you jinx have that again? championship medal. You're trying to jinx them again. There's no such thing as a jinx. The players decide. They're the ones that do the work. Not stupid Adam. <laughs> I don't know. Don't, don't, don't sell yourself short there, Adam, in your words. You've picked them to win multiple times over, and what's happened? Yeah, well, even when I didn't pick them, they still yeah. lost. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying, if they don't win, add follow Adam A. Blame him. Uh, thank you guys for listening to Damn the FNA Podcast. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you later this week. I use it as my gas, so they say that I'm dead. This year is our year. This is our year. 